so the other day I was looking at a video of Russell Brand mm -hmm. commentating on the Oprah Winfrey interview with Meghan Markle. And the video itself was basically about how Meghan was mistreated by the royals, which is partially why she and Harry chose to leave the royal family. But anyway, the video was... Not so much on the racism or the treatment of Meghan and Harry, but more about why should the royal family even exist? Oh. Basically, Russell Brand was saying one tenant of the royal family existing is that they are deeply rooted in tradition, because if there's no tradition backing the royal family, you don't need a royal family. But paradoxically, the other core tenant that allows them to exist is the fact that they're progressive. If they're not moving the country forward, why do they even exist? And so you kind of have two conflicting forces justifying their existence. But then furthermore, there's some weird internal politics happening within the British government and the monarchy where the queen apparently has somewhat north of 80 billion in assets and has power to look over the laws before parliament takes a look and veto things beforehand. So they have indirect influence over making laws favorable to the royal family. It opened up a question of why the royal family should exist in the first place. Because one can argue that they've definitely served their purpose. And in a sense, I would say they're almost like a mob boss of a country. <laughs> yeah, so I want to talk about it because... You're British. You must have some opinions of the royals. I think my opinion of the royals is probably shared by most British citizens. Okay, let's not make that statement. I actually love the royal family. There's many aspects of the royal family, right? I think tradition and culture is definitely a big part. The idea of a monarchy is very much embedded within... The community and society so for example there are tons and tons of castles and modern museums all littered across the uk those were at some point in the not too distant past real defensive structures and hence it really gives them the authenticity of history and that naturally makes amazing museums there are so many of these castles littered across the UK and the Queen actually goes and lives in them. So you know the Queen is in the castle when the castle is flying the Queen's banners. Interesting. If the Queen didn't exist, these castles would lose some legitimacy. It's so intertwined with a lot of society that I would 100% say it's more about culture and tradition than it is about the actual utility of monarchy. So, for example, you know, when it's the Queen's birthday, we get holidays. When the prince and the princess gets married, we get holidays. It's perhaps not too far from the whole GME thing, which is to have a real sense of community. There's always this common ground that you guys can talk about. But the other thing I do want to say is that I actually do think the royal family is net positive for the economy too. We do have to pay for the living expenditure, right? The British taxpayer have to pay for the royal families, the Buckingham Palace, the securities, and the cadets to protect them. I do, however, suspect that as a family, they generate way more money from tourism alone than they spend. 
So like what are the typical things that people do when they visit London, right? They go into one of those red telephone boxes. That's very stereotypical. They take a bus to Toro London and they go and see the Queen. And I honestly think that tourism is so stimulating to the economy and so much local businesses that overall, the purely economical effect of the royal family is net positive. But then how does COVID change this that throws the tourism concept out the window? I have to say that's not a situation I have thought about. I really hope COVID is not a thing that will stay with us for a sustained period of time, even though it doesn't look like it now. I guess the thing that I'm still struggling to grasp is to what extent is it okay to have a somewhat independent organization have subtle political power and that much capital within the British government? You have this very unique power and in exchange, the royal family gives tourism and culture to the place. But I don't know if that's an ethical trade. Yeah, so in the United Kingdom in general, there are lots of outdated laws and loopholes that comes from ancient traditions. So for example, I don't believe you can wear armor and carry a sword in the parliament. It's the same as not carrying guns, except it's 600 years ago. Another one that I really like is that all the swans belong to the queen. They are the property of the queen regardless of where the swans are. So you can't be harming the swans. Another weird tradition was when I was naturalized in the UK. During my citizen ceremony, I have to swear to protect the queen and country. But also, there was a whole crew that carried something that signifies the presence of the queen. I don't quite exactly remember what the thing was called. It was like some kind of staff. But the idea being that a physical representation of the queen. So when the staff is in the room, you have to treat it like the queen's in the room. And that's how they can naturalize you as a citizen because the queen is the monarch. So there's lots of really weird things like that. I don't quite remember which was the first king that decided to give up political power. But if I remember correctly, one of the trade-offs was that the parliament would provide finance and saving benefits for the king. And the king in return would not take any political positions. Even though there may be loopholes for the queen to massage certain laws, to veto certain things. I think in reality, she is very much a tourist attraction. Like a snow globe in a glass box is only there to look at and doesn't necessarily have much political influence at all. She certainly plays a very heavy role when it comes to motivating the population. So for example, I know that during the Second World War, it's quite frequent for the king to give speech about the situation on the war and to ensure the spirit of the British people like stay strong and stay positive. Similarly, the queen gives a speech every Christmas about the situations for the year and how we should approach next year. And I imagine that a similar speech was given during COVID. That's perhaps a true positive value of the Queen, which is to, at trying times, to bring people together and through this common ground that people always share. I don't think people would respect or fear the Queen necessarily as they would respect or fear a ruler over them. Personally, my feeling towards the Queen is very much a feeling of empathy in the sense that she never chose this. She had to play certain roles and follow certain traditions determined by her predecessors and the current society. And she has very little choice to make decisions that would drastically impact her life. And she has very, very little autonomy. Yeah, you do raise a good point about being able to unite a country. I do actually think that's a pretty unique advantage of having some sort of figurehead. You can see in the United States, 
in recent times, the people are not particularly united. If there's some emergency or if there is some war that comes up, I imagine the United States would have some internal struggles around what the country should be doing. I suppose, in a sense, it is good for a country if the people are all on the same page. What are the difference between the Queen's speech and a speech given by the president? The difference is half the people did not vote for a president, or did not vote for the current sitting president. Right, but now people, no one voted for the queen. That is true, but no one voted against the queen because there was no vote to be made. In my opinion, the key difference is this, and it's exactly what you said. As a president of a leading party, you are only representing those who voted for you. The queen spends a lot of energy to remain impartial with respect to the current political party. The impartialness. Really gives credibility and authenticity to her words. You know she's not partial to the conservatives because the conservatives may not be the next party in power. You know she's not partial to Labour because you know the same thing applies. She makes no real political decisions. So when she voices her concerns, it's usually a direction that's unanimous throughout the entire country. Interesting. I see. As a summary from you. You like the royals, and you think that they are a core part of British society. I would say so. Obviously, I'm not the biggest fan of the royals in the same sense that I'm not the biggest fan of anything. But given the choice of removing the royals and giving the money back to the British taxpayers, as a British taxpayer, I'm happy to pay like two pound every month or so to make sure that they still are integral part of the British society. Cool. Thanks for sharing.